Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 359, recorded January 23rd, 2022. And today we're finishing off Star Trek The Next Generation, The Space Between. Yes. Uh, issues four through six. Right. So these are the last three. And I'm kind of sorry they're the last three because I'm... I mean, they're not all perfect, but... And there's questions definitely at the very end of six, but uh, I like them. Right. Yeah, it's a format that IDW did, and we we read them. Since we were reading them out of order, uh, there was another miniseries that came after this that kind of did the same thing, where mm-hmm. they took stories and peppered them throughout the the series. But it, it is a it is a cool format because you know, being a reader, you're like, okay, what what where is this one placed? And you have to take right. all the little context clues to, to figure it out. I mean, sometimes it's pretty obvious, but other times you have to think about it a little bit. Oh yeah. So that's kind of cool. Issue six was um, like, I, there were multiple things that told me what season it was in, fine. But then figuring out what episode within the season, or at least coming close to it, I didn't see any clues until then I finally saw the clue that really narrowed it down. So it was, well, uh, it was fun. We'll have to talk about we were that. We were texting back and forth about this. About the clue. The well, about the idea of it, it, it's like a little puzzle game. Right, right. Yeah. A little detective work, trying to figure out, well, what, where exactly does this go? Yeah. In the original TV series run. Now, TNG. With, with five, I was just like, it's season two. I did, I did not try to pinpoint go beyond that. exactly what's, what right. episode. I'm sure you could if you really looked at the star dates and whatnot, but... Oh, um, uh, didn't they? Weren't they still inconsistent in TNG? No. I or did they TNG, finally straighten that they out? They had it pretty straight. Okay, good. So, anyways, well, um, so yeah, so it's good um, finishing it off, and then and then uh, I look forward to finishing off the last few mini series that we we kind of skipped in our original run. Right. Uh, next week. Right, so mission, we'll talk about more it more later, but right. missions end for next week. Right. Cool. All right, well, you ready to start us off, Ken? All right. So I'm doing the first one, which is issue four, and it has a title. I like the issue titles. Light of the Day. And this one is uh, published on April 2007. Writer is uh, Dave, David Tishman. Artist is Casey Maloney, inks Stacy Ponder, colorist Leonard O'Grady, letterer Neil Yataki, uh, editor Dan Taylor. So a lot of the creative people, a lot of the same people were involved in the first three, but uh, I guess inks, sometimes they have an inker, sometimes they don't, and then sometimes colors and even a letterer can change. But that's what we have for this issue. We've got three covers. The first cover is a sort of a typical TNG promotional uh, artist drawing. It shows Data, Picard, Riker, and Worf standing tall 
with the Enterprise D above and behind them. The background is made up of clouds, which the boys are apparently standing on, with uh, mostly space uh, in the background uh, behind the, uh, the Enterprise. Coverage by Ken Kelly. Cover B is a photo cover that presents the head and shoulders picture of Geordi with a small insert picture of Data in the lower right-hand corner. Cover C is kind of an interesting uh, wharf close-up drawing. Um, he has a funny look on his face uh, with his lower lip sticking up slightly and, um, and he, his, he has almost Galron-like eyes staring downward at something with disapproval. Yeah, so. that, that look, Ken, is called the stink eye. Oh, is it the stink eye? Is that the he's, Klingon stink he's eye? He's giving us the stink eye for sure. Oh, he's looking at us? Oh, Yeah, oh, he's okay. looking right at you, Ken. Oh, okay. Well, take it easy, Worf, okay? <laughs> okay. Um, Worf, Jordy, and Ro Laren are in a shuttle heading for the Enterprise. Um when they're suddenly hit by a radiation wave from a, ju- from a significant solar flare. So they're in, within a star system. The shuttle crashes on a close-by habitable planet that is very cold. They are able to make their way on foot to a spooky-looking large stone and wood building. On the way, Geordi needs to adjust his visor to filter out the interference from the unusual solar flare activity. Inside, they are able to start a fire in the huge fireplace to keep warm. Jordy says it's a dracon monastery, but they see no monks. Rose says she has a bad feeling about this place. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Picard is at the doorway to a holding cell containing Commandant Good, a scientist that took control of the planet Wyeth. He destroyed the ecology of that world for his own profit. Apparently, the people of Wyath rose up and triggered Gayud's flight uh, from the planet, which apparently fueled even further a civil war. The Enterprise is returning the Commandant to his world for trial. The despot says he has found Jesus, or whatever his society's equivalent is. He says... He is a great guy and continues his prayer sessions. Riker cuts in reporting that the Goddard is late and there is no sign of the shuttle Worf and his team were using. Meanwhile, in the creepy building, Worf and his team are searching the third level down and find a dead body. Geordi sees something and walks on from the body's location. He promptly drops through an opening in the floor and plunges into a body of water. Geordi hauls himself out of the water and comments that it contains a glowing single-celled algae. Worf and Rose see no direct way to get to him, so they start making their way down to the next level and tells Geordi to try to make his way up to their level. They will meet in the middle. Before Roe and Worf can decide which hallway to take, they are confronted by zombie monks who apparently drank the water. Phasers on full stun have no effect. Worf and Roe put up a valiant hand-to-hand fight, but they are vastly outnumbered. Back on the Enterprise, they are near the last known location of the Goddard, with no indication of where it is. 
Picard knows they are running out of time to find them. If they are even one minute late getting good to his trial, he will likely be acquitted. Surprisingly, they receive word that Good wants to help Picard find the missing shuttlecraft. From Geordi's fall, Roe and Worf have the idea to shoot the floor and drop the zombie monks into the lower level. They do it, and it works, but Geordi is down there, possibly infected like the monks. How much progress to the upper level has he been able to make so far? Back on the Enterprise, Gud, uh, Gud, whatever, G-H-U-D, is given access to an engineering panel and the assistance of Data, who will keep an eye on the demagogue, and who continues to claim that he only wants to help locate the missing crewman because his god tells him to help. Picard tells Gud even if he locates them, he will still be delivered right on time for his trial. Good works with Data to triangulate on the unique metals in Geordi's visor, Worf's sash, and Rose's earring. The locator process setup is complete, and the computer starts sifting through the huge amount of sensor data required. Data and a security detail escort Scud back to his cell. Meanwhile, in the monastery, Geordi is attacked by a zombie monk, and then the zombie monk is attacked by something even scarier. Worf. Reunited, Geordi tells them about his theory that the excess solar radiation may be fueling the mutation, so they just need to stay alive until morning until they can escape the zombie monks. Two groups of zombie monks enter the room from two vectors, and they attack. Riker in a shuttle calls down to the away team, saying he is approaching Riyadh. Geordi calls for an emergency beam-out, and they are saved. Meanwhile, the Enterprise enters orbit around Wyeth and beams Gud down in time for his trial. On the bridge, Riker reports Dr. Crusher has neutralized the organisms in the monk, monks and their water supply. As they are ready to leave the system at Warp 3, somehow Roe has ended up with the responsibility to meet with Picard and report on the Starfleet briefings rather than Worf. The end. Ooh, that was an abrupt ending. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I don't know why it was... So as they were, dry, as they were flying, you know, the three of them, uh, from a Starfleet briefing meeting or something... Um, there was a big deal about Worf reporting the results of those meetings to Picard, and I guess they turned it around at the end and tried to make a joke out of it with Roe getting the, uh, the call to do that. It's like, well, okay. I, right. I, I didn't really get the joke. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Is it that bad to talk to, your, uh, to, talk to Picard? I don't know. <laughs> Unless this is when they're on the outs and they're not, not friendly. Oh. Oh. Come on. It's one big, you know, as long as Pulaski's not around, it's just one big happy gro- uh, team on the <laughs> Enterprise, aren't they? I don't know. Roe Ro rubbed them the wrong way for a while. Oh, did or, she? Yeah. I don't remember that. Well, I mean, I mean, I know. Oh, was that when she was... Okay, so she went to, after the Enterprise, she went to play Maquis, 
and she ended up switching sides, right? Uh, well, she never comes back in the show. Okay. After she runs off to be the Maki. Okay. Okay, so I'm trying to. So you're. But when, when she when first she came rubs on, the she, wrong way. she was she was very abrupt and terse, and nobody really liked her. Oh, okay. She eventually warmed up to everybody. Okay. And then disappeared. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> to star in Deep Space Nine. Until yeah. the actress said she didn't want to. Yeah, I think she wasn't she in another one of those big science fiction shows, um, like Babylon Five or something like that. I don't remember her being in Babylon Five, but she—I I think I've seen her in other things, but other than Star Trek. But I, I think they were more like like small roles, mm. guest starring roles, things like that. I don't know. Maybe she was. No, yeah, Battlestar Galactica. That's what I thought. No, was she? What was she? she? Was oh, in she the was Admiral the captain of the other ship, the Razor Pegasus. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was yeah, she that the was captain of the Pegasus? Yeah. yeah. Well, she was an admiral. Admiral Helena Helena Kane. She was in Battlestar Galactica for not that long. I mean, just for a few episodes. But true. I mean, but it was her role was very important. Right. Uh, was that supposed to be a spinoff? Was the Pegasus supposed to be a spinoff show? And it didn't they didn't do it and just made it not into that I know a, of, but a movie. Not that I know of. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the big thing about the Pegasus was, uh, you know, it was it was a new ship. So and it was a. It was a better ship than the uh, Galactica. Right. Um, because it's the Jupiter really... 2. It's the Jupiter 2? <laughs> yeah, do you, do you know the story to that one? Uh, no. They, uh, they made a pilot. Is this Lost in Space? Yeah, or... they made a okay. pilot for a Lost in Space TV series. Okay. And they created the ship and everything, the Jupiter yeah. 2. Okay. Then the, then the show did not get picked up. So then they just reused that ship for the Pegasus. So that's why it does not look anything like what? Battlestar Galactica. What different aesthetic? Yeah, so they were making a movie, a TV show called The uh, Robinsons. There is a pilot out there. I have it. I just haven't I mean, I have a copy of it. I haven't watched it yet. But it did not get picked up, so then they just repurposed the interior for the the new Jupiter 2. Oh, the interior. Hmm. Right, right, right. Okay, because the exterior of the Pegasus looks a lot like the Galactica, only it's got like six engines in the back instead of like two. I mean, it's got a lot more engines, and but the general shape is you know, similar, right. not exactly I, the same. I think it's, it's supposed to be more interior. advanced. I don't think they, uh, I don't think the Jupiter two looked like that in the Robinsons, which again I haven't watched, but I am going to. Oh, you mean the new, the newer show that came out in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen? Oh, okay. They were going to make a, a TV yeah, show. Yeah, I, I, I get that part, but... Uh, okay. And I haven't seen it. Okay. I haven't seen anything aside from the, the new movie, the which is old now. The uh, 90, what, 3 movie with John Hurd? Yeah, whatever the, yeah whatever, whatever year that was, which I, I think we've said before. We both commented we liked that. Yeah, that's that where movie. my loss in space watching ends. Right. <laughs> so... Some at some point prior to the movie, or was this after the movie? No, no. It was after the movie. So after the movie, they thought they were going to try to go back on TV again. Yep. Okay. Didn't work. Okay. But somehow they used uh, the Jupiter, the redid Jupiter Two, 
uh, as the Pegasus. Okay. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So that was that was a long walk. It had nothing to do with Star Trek. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So, uh, what do you think of the issue? Uh, well, I mean, it was very World War Z. So it was just their zombie episode from from all I I can tell. <laughs> so we didn't see any like like I mean we know some we at least one or maybe more bodies were around, but it wasn't bloody or anything. Right, they weren't they? You know, and and did they really show like zombie teeth or something? I mean, they I think they were watered down zombies, but they're TNG zombies. Yeah, exactly right. Okay, so they, I think they might have glowing eyes or something, maybe. Uh, but that's about it. Right. But just the whole vibe. Oh, he fell in the water. He's now infected. He's going to turn into a... A zombie, a right. Yeah, it was, it was very zombie-like. Right. And so, was it something in the water? It seemed like it was in the end, because... Right. right uh, Crusher did something about it. Right. But, but then Jordy... So somehow this, what's in the water has some linkage to this solar flare stuff or solar activity that Jordy was saying, or was he off? I don't, I don't remember them linking it. Okay. Well, Jordy was saying something about, uh, he has a theory about it doing something with the solar radiation or something. So they've just got to survive until morning or something, which is a very zombie kind of thing. Right. But I don't know. It, it was a, it was an odd, odd logic. But yeah, they were just setting the stakes. Yeah. So where is this story in in Star Trek, uh, the original TV set, series of the Next Gen, season six? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Um, and you're saying that because of O'Brien, I assume. O'Brien? Yes, because O'Brien is the transporter chief. Hmm. And he leaves in... Okay, so here's he leaves my... in season six? Um, uh, yeah, okay. O'Brien is the transporter chief in the story. So... Um, okay, so I, gotta, I've, I have a different theory. Okay. I, yeah, this is not a contest, so you know we're <laughs> just figuring it out because that's part of what's fun about this is just to figure it out. So my first thing was um, Ensign Rose in here, uh, so it must take place uh, in season five or six before season seven. Um, mm-hmm. So that was my first cut at it, just because of Roe being there. Uh, so she first appeared in season five's third episode titled Ensign Row. Okay, so at least since she's there, it's got to at least be some point after uh, season five, episode three. And then I saw O'Brien was the transporter chief, so that it was like, okay. So I figured it must be the last episode or some plate. At some point before the end of season five, because uh, when season six began um, of TNG, he was already on Deep Space Nine. Right. So that, I figured it was some point uh, in season five. 
But that's as close as I could get to it. So you're thinking season five? Some yes, season five at some point after the third season or the third episode. That's what I was thinking. All right, because I think it's uh, season. Um, okay. Because well, you ready? You ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Uh, Troy. Me. Troy's oh, wearing Troy? her uniform, which she does not ever wear until episode ten of Star Trek season six. That's when Jellico makes her wear the uniform. Right. Now, and she wears it there going forward. Now, I use that logic in a different issue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. So, do we have a conflicting set of clues then? Or is my research wrong? Um, because O'Brien's there. Uh, is he? Yeah, he's only in one panel. I don't but... see him. What page do you see him in? Okay, let me let me go and find it. Do, 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 do. I mean, oh, I, I wish I would uh, mark page twenty one. I mean, there is a guy that maybe O'Brien. Yeah, I guess that is O'Brien. That's no, that's okay. That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah page, page twenty one. I yeah. thought that was O'Brien. Yeah, no, that's definitely him. Yeah, it's a profile, so you can't, and you only see him in one panel. But uh, because I assumed that was O'Brien, maybe it isn't O'Brien. Oh, that has to be him. He's in two panels. Look at that bot- that middle panel. Well, I'm looking at the middle panel. Yeah. That's the only one I see him in. Well, he's well, in the, he's in the, he's in the right. background next to Data. You can't tell anything from that. Uh, okay. Or can you? I, I can't. Uh, hmm. Well, I guess he's... So when did he leave the Enterprise? That would be the telling. End of season five. I mean... So Deep Space Nine... Began at the same time as season six of TNG, right? Or did I get that wrong? In 1992? So he, season six began in 1992. Of he, le- he left TNG. His last episode was uh, season six, episode seven. That was his last Next Generation episode. Um, okay, so then I got the uh, overlap between uh, Deep Space Nine and TNG wrong? Yeah, it looks like it. Hmm. Okay, that's because possible. that was the episode where um, Keiko turns into a, a kid, oh, and God, she I wants some one. Miles loving, and he's like, eh, "It's a little ooky, <laughs> a little kid." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, okay, yeah. so uh, Deep Space Nine apparently started at the same time as season seven. Uh, I think it started at the same time as season six. So he Wait was in was it? Next Generation halfway through season six, and then he went over to Deep Space Nine. Oh, okay. So Deep Space Nine didn't start in September? Uh, no, I think it was a mid-season thing. I think it started oh. in the summer, if I remember right. Oh, okay. Okay, I, that makes more sense. Okay. Okay. So I'm still going with this is after episode 11 of season six because Jellico's not here. Okay, there you go. You got me. Like you said, it's not a contest. Okay. No, it's not. (laughs) So, yeah, definitely looks like the writer and the artist knew what they were doing when they uh, because it has Roe, has O'Brien. And it has Troy in the right uniform. I think they purposely uh, give us clues. 
because they, they know we're looking. Right. Only in some cases, they're just not that precise. You know, so around here. And that works for me? Yeah. Cool. Yep. So uh, the 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 monks or whatever they were? Yeah. Uh, they looked a little Kazani to me with the... Uh, with their hair. So some of them had them in like dreadlock looks. Some of them had them just kind of all over the place. So Yeah. But they had a they had a pretty human face. Well, the Kazon had human faces too, didn't they? That their main thing was just crazy hair. Crazy hair. Yeah, I don't remember. It's been a yeah, while. I don't know. Well, what 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 did Jordy call it? It was um D something. The this place? Uh, I don't know. No, no, the monks. He said they were something, D-something monks. Of course, that isn't necessarily their race. Sure. No, it's just their religion, I guess. Dra- Dracon? It's, oh, a Dracon monastery. So whatever that means. D-R-A-C-O-N. Right. Yeah, I, I thought it was very handy that they, uh, they happened to be in a star system. I mean, if you're trying to get to some place, uh, wouldn't you try to not be going into a star system? Wouldn't you try to get around them if you could? Well, I mean, but, kind, I mean, it's lucky they were. Cause uh, yeah, oh, darn lucky. Kind of like how planes kind of, you know, when you're going across the oceans, they sure. kind of try to stay close right. to land in case something happens. But it was the solar activity that... Uh, that caused the shuttle to crash in the first place. So if they avoided the, the star system, they wouldn't have hit, been hit, gotten hit by the solar flares. Mm. But and it, yeah, I didn't find this one that interesting, quite frankly, to be no. honest. It was okay, no. but, you know. Yeah. No, I'm with you. But it did have my favorite line from all six. Oh, what? What was the line? <laughs> all right, so picture it. Worf is fighting with uh, one of the zombie monks. Yeah. And he's standing oh, over a cliff. That? And he says, I have had enough, enough of you. you. Okay, so he was doing a little little Kirk. Yeah. What, and the, then, what the third movie? Yeah, the third movie. So instead of kicking yeah. a Klingon down a cliff, he just tosses He was a cliff. Klingon kicking a, a zombie down a cliff. Yeah, exactly. Or into a hole, whatever. Nah, I, that, got, that got a chuckle out of me. <laughs> well, something I do like is uh, what uh, David Tishman. He, you know, he he injects some some good humor from time to time in here. Some good jokes, right? Uh, in in the series, that is. So, and he definitely knows a Star Trek. Uh, TNG, yep. well, and Taws. So what do you think of the uh, the little monk guy? The the oh, the, you mean uh, the little despot? Yeah, the little the little the little guy. <sighs> so he's about the size of a five year old, or whatever. He's pretty small. He's a, a small stature people, but uh, so this guy was a scientist who somehow became the leader of these of his people. And because he was, what, corrupt to some degree? Anyway, he pisses everybody off. And then uh, 
gets himself a uh, a get out of jail free card supposedly be, by becoming religious. Yeah, didn't he? He was a murderer, right? Didn't he murder a bunch of people? He, uh, what, like his poli- he he says himself his policies were responsible for killing like like a million people. Oh, right, forty seven million people. Right. He admitted his policies caused the death of forty seven million people. Yeah, that's more than just he made his those people mad. He, he killed. Oh, he killed yeah. so many of them. Well, well, I mean, even if he wasn't the one doing it, I mean, it it's just. Well, he, his yeah, he, he he didn't hold a gun to people's heads, but sure. being the leader, I mean, uh, what there there's a uh, murder by numbers is a sting song, and in it he says something. Um, Murder is the sport of the elected. Mm. Uh, because you can kill vast numbers of people and you don't have to get your hands dirty at all. It's true. Yeah, so so this guy uh, ended up being directly or indirectly responsible for 47 people by his own admission. Right. But that's okay because he's seen religion. And so, what does he say? My crimes are yesterday's problem, he says. Yep. Okay. I don't think so. Right. At least he doesn't get off free. I mean, at well, the end no, of the he... story, they're not like, all right, you can take this shuttle and leave since you helped us. Oh, no. Oh, heck no. Yeah. So I did like that, that he's still, yeah. still going to go face justice, but because of his new religion, he, no, no matter what they do to him in his physical form, he knows that the afterlife will take care of him. <sighs> right. And being a Roman Catholic, I mean, I definitely get the idea of, uh, you know, contrition and being absolved of your sins. Uh, sure. But, man, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's got a lot of sinning yep. that he did. Anyway, he, he, he's, he's, he's kind of obnoxious, quite frankly. He is. Yeah, he really bashes you on the head with the religious aspect of it. Yeah. But good for him. Hopefully, uh, hopefully he's right, and the prophets smile on him, <laughs> or whatever religion he's at. Exactly. Um. Yeah, I don't really have anything else to say myself. Yeah, me either. It wasn't my favorite issue. Uh, nope. But I liked it a little bit better than maybe the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Only because the, at least there was some action in this one. Then the next issue has no action. Right. Really at all. And we did have zombies in this one, at least. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, ready? Let's go. So this is Space Between, number five. Came out May 2007, entitled Space Seeds, plural. And uh, it is set sometime between, or sometime during season two. So I, I could not put my finger on the episode, nor did I really try. Um, the, uh, art staff and everything is exactly the same. The only difference is that the letterer here is Chris Mallory. So it is IDW. And so there are a lot of covers. So, uh, cover A is by Joe Caroni and it has a picture of the Enterprise D at the very bottom. And then there's that shaft of life 
coming out of the what would be the bridge straight up the page. And then on the left, we see the faces of Picard, Riker, and Worf. And to the right, we see Data in profile. Cover B is a photo cover with young Wesley Crusher. Uh, and then there's a little insert of Picard in his suede jacket uniform. And then the cover C is by Zach Howard. And it shows... Wesley Crusher standing on like a rock face cliff of some sort and then some scraggly looking tree behind him. So the story starts with Wesley cleaning up at the poker table, raking in a good chunk of Riker's, Data, Geordi, and O'Brien's poker chips. All of them are amazed at how great Wesley's hand was and how unreadable his poker face is. Suddenly, a disembodied voice of Riker orders Wesley to the bridge. Wesley stands up and closes down the holodeck and watches as his poker buddies vanish into the colored squares of the holodeck. Later, the Enterprise arrives to a colony farming planet of Armada. It seems that the crops here have been having some unexpected failures and the Enterprise is ordered to check it out. On the surface, Riker, Picard, and Data discuss the situation with the local farmer, who is riding what looks like a large dewback-type creature. So it's a big amphibian or lizard-type creature. Uh, everybody is currently at a loss as to why the crops are all failing. Elsewhere on the planet, Wesley is hanging out with the planet's children. He watches as they crash a flying model of the Phoenix into the greenhouse ceiling just for the heck of it. He does not really seem to be getting along too well with them, and they are all kind of surly and nasty people anyways. Um, they just say they want to get off this rock and see what it would be like living in a populated planet. Uh, so basically, it's the typical farm kid wanting to live in the big city type situation. Wesley's then called back to the ship and he beams away. Later, Data returns to the bridge from analyzing the soil from the surface. Before he can give a report, Riker is contacted by Dr. Pulaski, who rudely complains that Data was using a science station in sickbay. Data promises to use another science station going forward, and Worf is amazed on how rude the elderly doctor is to the mechanical man. Data then does give his report of his findings and says that the farmers are using time particles to accelerate the growth of the crops. And somehow this has now caused the crops to be unstable, and the effects of humans eating this modified crop is unclear. Riker and Picard confront the leader farmer, and he admits, yes, we did do what we thought was best to, for our family and for the farm, which is responsible for feeding millions of Federation citizens. Elsewhere, Wesley confronts the children of the planet. He's surprised that they're already packed and ready to evacuate the planet. Wesley accuses them of tinkering with the chronoton particles that their parents were using to slowly 
develop the crops. But instead, the kids adjusted it to completely destroy the crops uh, so that they would be able to leave the planet and get off this boring backwater world. So the biggest of the kids confront Wesley and says, who's going to make them admit it? Wesley stands up to the hulking lad and says that he will. The larger kid then takes a swing at the acting ensign, but Wesley's able to block it, and then he pops the brute in the face. Later, the kids arrive to Picard and Riker, and they admit the whole thing. Picard then orders them to go to where Worf is and tell the same story to him. As they depart, Wesley arrives. Picard tells Wesley that it was very brave for the children to come forward like that. And he asked Wesley if he knew anything about it before now. Wesley says he did not. Riker then asks about the largest kid's black eye. Again, Wesley says he knows nothing about that. And he walks away, leaving Picard and Riker to discuss the possibility that Wesley may have had a hand in it and that he has a great poker face. So we suddenly flash forward to five years later, shortly after the events of issue 3's Romulan slash Borg slash Federation ships attack. Picard is jolted out of bed and he requests Data meet him in the ready room. Once they're there, Picard points out that the recent outbreak of chronoton radiation on a Cardassian farming planet is much like the Armada incident five years ago. Data confirms that there have been other political events that match previous Enterprise's logs from these stories. So he mentions that there was an election that was completely overridden in the same fashion that the Tegan adventure from issue one. And then also there was a Maquis ship that was destroyed using harmonic diamonds, which is what we saw in issue number two. So this confirms that someone in the Federation is using the Enterprise's logs to create weapons. But who could do that and why? To be concluded. Da, da, da. Yeah, so the, the this issue isn't that great, but it's important because of this these last reveals. Right. Yeah, so he just mentions two events. So we got one and two covered. So you, and I guess three is covered because because uh because 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 so I guess five, I guess the the zombie is, one is really the only one that doesn't have any bearing in in anything because yeah I in, don't in six I don't remember them ever mentioning that they also somebody also used uh, the zombie virus from the the solar flare or whatever it was so yeah that seems to be the only throwaway right. event the one that isn't connected right. But yeah, I mean, I did kind of like that it, the story ends, and then suddenly Picard's like waking up five years later and like, oh, that, that sounds familiar. I remember doing that five years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, five and six are kind of a two-parter kind of thing. Well, Seems the last be. page or two. I mean, well, I yeah. wouldn't call it a two-parter. Yeah, but they're connected to each other very clearly. Yeah, those two um, are... Yes, the the end of five and the beginning of six are, like, incredibly connected. <laughs> right. So, um, yes, yes. So, 
uh, tease things up nice for the next uh, issue. But as far as this issue is concerned, if you had a Class M planet around, why would you ever make domes? And especially try to have some kind of uh, farms there. I just, that the whole idea of terraforming seems kind of ridiculous when there are Class M planets around. Now, maybe there are, you know, there's just some logistics involved here that, is, that aren't obvious. But it just, just the whole idea of having domes and on asteroids to make food just doesn't make any sense to me. Right. Uh, and, and why do they have, why do they ride? Uh, what you know that one of those things that Obi Wan Kenobi wore or rode in the you know uh, sending the clones? Oh, it's you like, thought it was that thing? <laughs> well, a little bit. It's like a lizard kind of thing, kind of, sort of. It's got right. a blunt, a blunt nose and stuff. But it's right. like, why are they? Why are they using beasts of burden? I mean, they've they got anti grab, right? Got, <laughs> exactly, right. I mean, I would think that there would be like devices that would be more flexible. I mean, just better in every way, and it doesn't poop. Although maybe you want the poop. You want the poop for the fertilizer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it's like, fine, fine. <laughs> no, I agree. It's, uh, it's a little weird. It, it, but it, it looks cool. It, it does cool. look. It, it looks cool. It looks cool. And one last thing I just want to say about this whole farming thing. It's like the kids are whining about this and like about their, oh, we work eight hours a day and then we got four hours of school. And it's like, what, why are you guys working so much anyway? I, I, I would think <laughs> there's so much automation by, by this time period. There would be so much automation involved and, and tools. I mean, even today, I mean, they... Some of these John Deere tractors and stuff, they just do their thing by themselves in these fields. Right. You know, I mean, I, my understanding. Um, I, just, I just don't get it. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Right. Yeah. No, they're, and for them to be so whiny seems weird. <laughs> I guess it's always the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. Which is where I thought they were going to go with that, you know, Wesley, you know, because he's kind of in a bad mood in this story, too, because yeah. uh, this is set during season two. So his mom is gone and he's trying to make it on his own. Uh, but he's still a kid. I mean, yeah. at heart, he's still a kid. Uh, so he, he's a little off off color here, I think. Little little bratty, I guess. Yeah, he's kind of annoying. But I thought that's where they were going to go with, you know, it's just like, you think you got it hard? You know, I, I have to go to school and I have to pilot the damn ship. And, you know, like, <laughs> Wait a minute. You get to fly the ship? <laughs> oh, you. Mm. A lot of responsibility to put on a little kid. And yeah. I have to live at home by myself. <laughs> and, and when, okay, so he has not been, he's not been to the Academy. No, Starfleet Academy. the acting is. So... Where did he learn those moves? Those kung fu moves? Because yeah. he's like kicking the guy. I mean, th this guy is a lot bigger than Wesley. I mean, there's some panels where they show them together, and Wesley looks like a little kid. Right. And so this guy... Okay, I, I could understand Wesley kind of dodging the first swing. 
But then he's like, does the kung fu kick, and then he's like, hits down on the guy with a big uh, punch, and uh, and they even got the really cool guy uh, shadowing in his face and stuff, and he's like up there, you know, the the pan. It's shooting upward, showing, you know, power right. and whatever. Yeah. And it's like, he's kicking some butt. How did, can he do that? I guess he learned it from Worf. He must have. Those classes that Worf has. I, I guess he must. Although I don't remember him having those classes in season two. <laughs> he's so young. I mean, I, I could see if after he came back from the academy or something. Or, no, whatever. Right. I got it's you. It's handy. It's handy. So I didn't realize that Ray Spannon was going to be in this. I you know, from Johnny Quest. Right. Oh. Is he the, uh, the, the kid? Or <laughs> he's the dad? <laughs> okay, so, do you, so you've never watched Johnny Quest? I did when I was a kid. Okay. Only so, because it was on. I, I, don't, I never followed it or anything. Okay, well, I really like Johnny Quest. Uh, but even if you have passing, I mean, if you have any memory of it, um, Ray Spannon was like the uh, the adventure guy who was, um, you know, he flew the plane and he was like the bodyguard and he would do the jujitsu stuff. And uh, and basically he had the white hair. I mean, he looks just like the father who's yeah. riding the uh, the lizard guy. I always thought that was his dad in Johnny Quest. No, Dr. Quest was the guy with, like, with the red hair and the beard. Oh, uh, okay. Reddish hair. Dr. Quest. Which, of course, the whole thing is, is, is what they modeled um, the Venture Bros after, the Venture right. Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, you can definitely tell. Yeah, you can tell that. <laughs> yeah, even me, who's, who's only seen a very little bit of it, knew that. Of the Venture Brothers? <laughs> Yeah. I've never watched any Adventures Brothers, but you can tell just by the commercials that yeah. it was Johnny Quest. Well, I watch a lot of Venture Brothers, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's just amazing. I mean, even the Venture Brothers uh, jet is just like the Johnny the Quest jet, you know, the Johnny Quest jet that they used to fly around the uh, fly around in. Anyway, and the other thing that I noticed that when I went and tried to get a picture of uh, Johnny of Ray Bannon. Just to make sure that I had it right, because he, he looks so much like him to me. So I, I got a picture that is very similar to the one panel where you see the the father, farmer, you know, on, on the back of the uh, lizard guy. Right. And uh, something I didn't realize is um, Mike Pence looks a lot like <laughs> Ray Bannon, too. So I can see that. I can see it's that. It's like, okay, yeah. So Mike Pence, Ray Bannon, father, farmer guy. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I did not get that, but I can totally see it now. Uh, the vibe I was getting was from the kids, and it was like a Children of the Corn type thing with their like bleached blonde hair and yeah. just like or what in that, in that village of the corn, um, Children, Children of the, of the Damned, what whatever that one is, which were all the little Martian kids or something with the little bowl cuts like this one kid. That's Children of the Corn, isn't it? Children of the Corn. Is that Children of the Corn? Well, I, I know Children there's a, the horror, there's a the horror one. one that I thought was Children of the Corn, where yeah. they're all like they all look they all look the yeah, same. They were all born they were all born the same day or something right, like that. Right, something like that. Oh, was I, that an alien thing in the end? I think it's an alien thing. Okay, okay. I, I don't remember 
it very well. But I do remember all those kids were creepy. Right. But I don't think Children of the Corn is is was different. That's okay. that's the one where that like Malachi and stuff is. They're just like little kids that live in the and built up their own religion. Oh, okay. And uh, tried to burn up Linda Hamilton. <laughs> Damn it! Damn it! Oh, Linda but, Ham- Hamilton was in that. Yeah, I don't recall. But Children of the Damned—that's a different one. Oh, okay. That, that's the one so that we. Children talking. of the Damned is the one you're talking about. That's the one with all the little albino kids that freak everybody out. Okay. And we're all born on the same day, which is. That's what I was getting when I was looking at these We're looking kids. at this. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they don't like shirts. Who would? It's hot there. <laughs> They're in these, these caramel-colored, gold-colored something, uh, bib overall things with no shirts. Except for the poor girl. She has to wear shirts and the overalls. Well, she's hot. I'm looking. Okay, hold on. So the brother and sister, they're, she's got no shirt on. Are you talking about the brunette? Yeah, she's wearing a shirt. She's wearing a long sleeve shirt. The brunette. Uh, yeah, the one that's drinking. Oh, yeah. That's the, not the who I'm talking alcohol. about. I'm talking oh. about the sister who's also blonde. There's a sister. Well, yeah, but the big guy, the sister, and they both got the same outfit on and no shirt. There's a sister. Yeah. We uh, go to go to page eighteen. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm looking at page 18. Uh, you don't see a sister there? Next nope. to the brother with the black eye? I see the brother with the black eye. Uh, and then the little boy. That's, that's a next. sister. That's a girl? That's a girl. No, that's a boy. I think it's a, I think it's a sister. Well, uh, I'm pretty sure that's a girl. But uh, I suppose it's young enough that maybe it could be either gender. But I took her as a her. Uh, I took it as a boy. Okay. Huh. Well, whatever. I don't think it matters that much. But I do. Th- I think it's a girl. But uh, I really don't know that they said for sure. But uh, it looks like a girl's face. But whatever. My main point <laughs> is, there's two people there. They're siblings, and they got the same outfits on with no shirt. Right. So that's my main point. Yeah, his or her, whatever it is, name is Corey. So that doesn't that doesn't help you no, that doesn't, figure it out help. either. <laughs> huh. Well, oh, are you sure it's not Pat? When reading it, I took it as he was a boy. Give androgyny a try with Corey. Yeah, that was the Pat song. Um. Yes, from Saturday Night Live. Yes. Okay. There you go. Julia Sweeney. I, I know. I know this yet. <laughs> Good. I just don't think it's aged very well. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while. Well, speaking of Corey, uh, what would you think of his uh, little remote control phoenix that he crashes into the dome? I like that. That's great. They got a little phoenix. Now, okay, so, the, so Wesley asks, what's the point? And they respond, it explodes. But is that really part of their thing to... Uh, Try to, to ruin get the, off the planet. Ruin the crops? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. It shows that they're technically... I mean, they have some technical knowledge. But... Assuming it's not just a toy. You know, just a crappy toy that anybody can get for a credit or two. Right. Yeah, you would... Or just replicate it. Yeah. Man, think of all the cool stuff you'd have once you could just replicate it. Well, yeah, and quite frankly, that's another point. 
with they've got replicators. So, you know, you can produce food with replicators. Uh, you may not always want replicated food, but it kind of makes farms less important, don't, doesn't it? But, well, that that uh, protein that uh, or that, uh, I mean, it has to come from somewhere, right? I mean, I know it's reconstituted vitamins and stuff, so I would assume they have to get them from somewhere. Well, okay, here we go back to our differences of opinion on how transporters work. Transporters are replicators. It's the same technology. Replicators are using transporter technology to create food, or anything really, using energy. And that's where you and I differ on how transporters work. Because you say... You've got to have a lump of matter. You've got to turn it into electrical signals or something, and then you transmit it to another location, and you reconstitute the original matter. Yeah, well, that's what they say well, in Star Trek. Well, I, I disagree. And likewise, um, oh, so you think that they need to have some kind of food matter to be able to create Earl Grey hot. Right. Yes. Again, I disagree. I mean, in Discovery, they flat out say that's what that pair is. He says, I've never had a real pair. Oh, this well, is just okay. reconstituted materials. Okay. No, I, I'll agree with that. Which is the way I always took how replicators that's work. Not the way I ever took them to work. But you are right. But at he least now you know that. you're wrong, Ken, because it's in the show. He says what it is. It's in Discovery which could completely be re- doing revisionist stuff. So you think it just they just have Earl Grey in a... No, they create a matter... It's a matter-energy converter. And as long as you have the patterns, so just you can create matter you just electricity using that turns energy. into solid... Yes. Yep. Food. Yep. And of course, we're arguing about something that doesn't <laughs> exist... And likely will never exist. Right. I this, is, this is like the uh, <laughs> uh, the Big Bang Theory arguments. <laughs> but yeah, the way I always took it was that there is something, like yeah. a big clunk of protein or whatever, and the replicator takes some of that. Or poop. M- mix it up and then... Mix it, it up. With, yeah. Well, okay, in It's able to reconstitute all that into a ice cream sundae and beam it to well, Counselor Troy's room. In Taws, it was more primitive, and the food dispensers, I always thought, was something like that. But then in the next gen, when they said they had, uh, they used transporter technology to, you know, to create food and things in the replicators, um, yeah, I thought it was a, a different process than Taws. Hmm. I thought Taz had a chef behind the wall that was just always <laughs> throwing stuff out there. Like those, uh, what is it? Automats or something like Automats. that? Automats. Yeah. That would have hot dogs in there for years. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you should want that egg salad. Uh, maybe not. Okay. I do like Picard's joke. Uh, which, where? Uh, where he says, Commander Riker, 
And then Riker says, sir, make sure you wipe your feet before you beam up. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny. So apparently Picard spotted uh, something Riker didn't. <laughs> he stepped in dewback poop. <laughs> apparently. Apparently. I like that. That was good. That's good. It's, so, it's so subtle, too. It's yeah. so Picard. It was pretty good. <laughs> That's the last thing I have to say about this one. All right. Let's see how it all wraps up. Okay. Okay, so this one is also titled Space Seeds because it's kind of a two-parter. Um, June 2007 is published date. I think everybody's the same, but I'm just going to repeat the inks and colorists just in case. Oh, the letterer is Chris Mowry. Colorist is Leonard O'Grady and Ink Stacy Ponder. Everybody else is the same, I believe. Casey Maloney. Yeah, Casey Maloney did the uh, art previously. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay, we have three covers. Cover A is a multicolored drawing of Enterprise C, Data, Riker, and Picard. Each of the four characters have a different color background around their heads or fuselages. Covers by Joe Caroni, I think. Uh, again, I, it wasn't crystal clear uh, from what I saw at Lone Star, but I did not look in, uh, in beta alpha uh, to try to find out. Uh, cover B is a photo cover of Data with an insert picture of Dr. Crusher. Cover C is a retailer incentive cover featuring Worf brandishing a batleth and looking at his opponent with razor focus. Insert drawings of Data, Geordi, and Picard are kind of spread around the cover. Worf and Riker beam into a ship or a facility of some kind that looks like uh, it's a Federation design. The two guys take out the other two guys that are using, that, that are at the controls uh, but they're not wearing Starfleet uniforms, or at least no Starfleet uniforms that I'm, I'm familiar with. They're kind of similar, but they're not the same as, uh, as normal Starfleet uniforms. Apparently, this is the first step in taking over an enemy installation, and Worf and Riker are looking really serious about it. Meanwhile, from his office, Picard contacts Admiral Necheyev to warn her about someone using the Enterprise's mission logs for offensive purposes. There is some political agenda, likely quadrant-wide, uh, if not further involved. Necheyev makes it clear she already knows about it and does not want to talk or even acknowledge what is going on. Picard is incensed about this, and the contact is cut. A shadowy figure in Necheyev's office is listening to what's going on. Necheyev says to the shadowy individual, she will take care of Picard and the Enterprise. Troy and Geordi and Data are in the engineering section of what looks like a ship, perhaps a galaxy class. It's kind of hard to tell. It has a really big warp core in it. Data knocks out what he says is the last of the people on board. Data accesses the main computer, but reports it's empty of Data. No personal logs, no schematics, nothing. Geordi says, it's a trap. Meanwhile, Picard is on Earth, walking with Boothsby on the grounds of Starfleet Academy, trying to get information about this conspiracy. Boothsby can't tell Picard anything specific, 
but says there are rumors about a secret group that fights dirty so the Federation's hands can be clean. Boothsby goes back to his room, wishing Picard the best and telling him to not let the boogeyman get him. Picard hears something and draws his phaser. A tellerite in a bush shoots at Picard and misses. Picard returns fire and starts to run from the area. The tellerite fires at Picard's back and seems to have him, but he unexpectedly transports away in the nick of time. But to where? Meanwhile, high above, Dr. Crusher has the con and is dealing with an incoming call from a smiling Admiral Adams, who wants to speak to Picard. Crusher gets rid of him, saying Picard is in quarantine for 48 hours with a bad case of Andorian measles. Back in the Phantom Ship, or installation, or whatever, Riker and Worf attempt to join the others in what looks like engineering, but are running afoul of force fields. Data gets them in uh, with an idea to modify their comm badges to a 3.5 terahertz frequency. It works, and they enter the transporter room, where Geordi is trying to get a transporter working so he can beam the captain to their location. Data estimates another 24 minutes before they can do it. Riker tells Worf to implement Plan B and tosses Worf a case full of explosive charges. Data reminds Riker that Picard wanted to expose the facility to Starfleet, but Riker counters, saying if they cannot do that, they are to blow this place up. And so that is what Riker is preparing for. Picard finds himself transported into a room that has a Borg and a regeneration pod against one wall. A Galaxy-class ship, apparently under construction, is in the distance. A computer workstation is showing Ferengi information across four or more displays. Picard looks at the monitors and quizzically says, Ferengi? A voice from behind tells Picard it was all about the Ferengi 200 years ago when they were recognized as a threat that needed to be kept in check to keep our interests intact. The man has a gray head of hair with a beard and a phaser at the back of Picard's head. Picard has a moral argument with the man who says Picard and he are two sides of the same coin. It's his dirty deeds protecting the Federation at all costs that allows Picard to be a noble explorer. They need each other. Picard says his occupation will outlive the mystery man's. The mystery man agrees with him, but until then... Troy, Riker, Worf, Geordi, and Data suddenly beam in with phasers drawn and pointed at the head of the mystery man. Five more people beam in, pointing their phasers at Picard's people. A Mexican standoff a la Reservoir Dogs. The mystery man says they are at an impasse. Picard says maybe not and orders Geordi to detonate the charges. Geordi tries, but nothing goes boom. Mr. Man tells Picard the charges were disabled as soon as they were placed by Picard's people. They're saying this just as Mystery Man and his people transport out of the room. Picard signals the Enterprise and says they need to get the hell out of there. Later on the Enterprise, the crew is having a lavishly catered meal, complete with mimosas. Picard observes he would have killed me if Geordi did not transport him out in time. 
Jordy says he did not tra- transport Picard out, so someone else must have. A fancy extra dish of Bularian canapes is spotted on the buffet table with a card next to it saying, You're welcome. Data asks who could have sent it. Picard smiles knowingly and says, A good friend. Confident, Picard makes a toast. To the crew of the Enterprise, to my friends, may our voyages be as many as the stars in the sky. The end. So where do you think this one plays? Okay. You you want me to tell you? And then we'll compare notes? Well, let me tell you mine, and then I guess you can okay. tell me Okay, fine. All right, so... Go for it. I think it's either immediately before um, All Good Things or after. And I'm kind of leaning towards after now that I rewatched it. Oh, All Good Things? Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, interesting. Right. So it takes place after issue five, which takes place after issue three. So, and in issue three, Riker completely okay with Troy and Data, or Troy and Worf dating. And they didn't start dating until all good things and, and Picard's, I mean, and Riker's not quite on board at the beginning with them being together. Right. And then at the end, you know, he's okay. So that's why I'm thinking that all of this takes place after uh, all good things. Hmm. Interesting. So what what was your placement? Well, I knew it took place after season seven, episode twenty, Journey's End. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for because of the because of the canapes. canapes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a couple things. First thing, Doctor Crusher is in command of the ship. Um, you know, while most of the people are off doing whatever, so uh, so she took play. She took command of the ship. Uh, also in Descents, Parts 1 and 2. So well, that's you just know, when we found out she... Well, uh, I, yeah, go ahead. Can I continue? Yeah, please, please, please. Okay. So that that tells me it, it probably was after that point, which, of course, you know, that, that was uh, last episode of Season 6, first episode of uh, Season 2. Then Deanna's wearing a duty uniform, which, which we know happened in Chain of Command, which was back in Season 6, Episode 10. Mm-hmm. Um and Jellico and I, I, I went back and watched a little bit of that, just to just to see it. And it's like God, Jellico, you're just such a such a poo poo head. Anyway, um, and then he finally, the head, cherry I, on, did, I rewatched uh, all of those Jellicos, and yeah. I like him. <laughs> I, I don't. Now, I now, now, mind you, I never liked him before. This was the first time I watched well, it. Going, you know what? He is right, and well, Steve, he's pretty interesting character. Yeah, Steve Shives is it the 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 YouTube video guy that does a lot of uh, the Star Trek videos? He yeah. completely agrees with you, uh, and so. he and he did one that actually said, um, you know, Captain Jellicoe is pretty, you know, not that bad or pretty cool or I forgot exactly what they what he titled it. Right. But he did a whole episode that was saying how you know, he's 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 by the book and stuck up, but he did a good job, right? And and I agree with that, but I still think he's a. <laughs> but I mean, he's, he's just a little. It's the way he does his job that I don't appreciate. It's not right. saying that his objectives are not right, 
it's how he gets there that I he's, object. He's to. very ab- abrupt. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I, I rewatched it. Yeah. And, and I'm like, well, I came out going, I, I kind of like him. And so I went back and re- reread the Jellicoe Captain's Log issue, and yeah. I liked him there, too. It's just like, I've never liked that guy until just recently. <laughs> and now I'm like, hey, I wish there was more of him. Okay, I don't Anyways, like him. Continue, but, your, uh, um, continue your analysis. But, but I did like, uh, I, I like the Shives video, and he did make some good points. And you just made some good points too, but I still don't like Jellico. Anyway, so. <laughs> but but I'm, I don't like him, but I can't say that he doesn't get the job done. So, okay. So the la- the, the thing that was the icing on the cake is the belit- I didn't know, I didn't know who sent the dish, and then um, I did some research. I did a search on Balerian canapes or sit canapes, and. Uh, and of course, I found the reference there. So, gotcha. I I did not remember that at all, and it's completely a Google thing. Google mm-hmm. got me. Um, I, I would have had to look it up, but I had just finished that episode when I was reading this. So oh, Journey's End. You just yeah, watched when it? I got there, I was like, "Hey, wow, that's quite what, a coincidence." I know what they're talking about. Yeah, that was the one where Wesley leaves with the traveler, yeah. or with the. Well, because of the Native Americans and all that. It's stuff. the Native. I, yeah, I remember the Native American part. I didn't remember the. I didn't watch. I I knew it was the Native American part, but it's like I didn't remember that that episode that well because it's been a while since I watched it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I went back and looked at it, and I saw the exact scene at the beginning with the canapes and everything. It's right. Like, oh wow. I was trying okay, to butter so this, her up. This makes so much sense now. <laughs> um. Oh, so at the end, Wesley leaves with the. With the traveler in that one, uh, okay. Well, actually, he doesn't end up leaving with the traveler. He he's told to stay with those Native Americans to, and then the traveler would come back and get him. Oh, oh, okay. But yeah, the, tra- the traveler was there the whole time. Oh, oh, okay. I don't remember that. That episode is a little hard to watch now because when he's when Picard and uh, Nachayev are talking, mm-hmm. he refers to them as North American Indians. And then oh, about, Indians. Yeah, and then about, uh, like, a few sentences later, they they drop the North American part, and then they just become Indians for the rest of the, the, rest of the story. Which, the, yeah, the yeah. whole, what's the Indian part that's the problem? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Which, Native uh, Americans. I, yeah, they should have called them Native Americans. Yeah, should have. But. Well, isn't that funny? So, I mean, yeah. Isn't it amazing how political correctness, uh, you know, you know, changes over time, nice. uh, becomes more sensitive? Um, yeah. But I guess in about uh, you know, 300 years, we'll, we'll be calling them Indians. Again. Indians. <laughs> yes. Uh, just because, uh, was it Columbus or an early, uh, America's Vespucci? Whatever. Mistakenly thought they landed on, on India, the east coast of India. Um, they're now Indians forever. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Uh, anyway, so that's it. So that's, that's, my, that's my research. Now, now, it's interesting that you put it actually past the last episode of the whole series. Interesting. Right. And when we talked about the last issue, I was saying the same thing, that yeah. it had to have been towards the end. But... I just rewatched All Good Things like two days ago. 
Right. And when I was watching that, I was like, oh, this takes place before these issues because Riker is not okay with them being together at the beginning. So, uh, and, and gotcha. he's obviously okay in issue three because yeah. he's he very supportive. Yeah, so. He's being a so really this, good guy about it. Yeah, so this definitely has to take place after the show. Okay. After the series. Cool. And before Generations, I guess. Right. So uh, you said that that was a Galaxy-class ship being built? Um, well... It's actually a Galaxy-Borg-Sphere hybrid ship. Oh, was it? You yeah. can see that? Yeah, you can see that the, the middle of the saucer section is replaced with a, ga- uh, with a Borg-Sphere. Uh, I don't really... S- uh, okay, now that you point it out, I... And it looks like there might I be some so. gems at the back. It's small. Okay, so so what we saw in issue three, though, there was no Borg sphere in the middle of the saucer section, right? No, nah, it was more of the Borg cube kind right. of in the back. Okay. So this is just a different configuration because that one blowed up good. This is the other. Ah! This, is the one <laughs> this is the version two or version three or whatever. Exactly. Now, okay, what's that whole thing about? Okay, are you ready to talk about the Frangie? Uh, sure. Yeah, it was like Nog. A little bit. The profile? Yeah. Um, or, the, or the face, the straight-on one looks more like Nog. The one to the left. Well, okay, you can't... Yeah, it's obscured by the seat back, but... Okay. Sure. Anyways, what about him? I, I, no, for, Ferengis in general. So, Ferengi... So, Ferengis are why? <laughs> and by the way, so this is Section 31, right? They don't say it, but this is probably Section 31. Definitely feels that way. Yeah. Now, maybe it's kind of good they didn't actually label it, maybe? Because they're supposed to be a secret organization. But, um... Well, they never call it Section 31 in Star Trek In the Darkness either, do they? But we all just take it that that, that's what it is. I don't... Oh. Um, well, I, I, I never even thought of Section 31 in that. Um, oh, really? I always assume Marcus was part of Section 31. Well, I, well, that was a theory. No, did he... Okay, so where does Section 31 really start? So was Marcus and what he was doing a precursor to Section 31? Uh, or was it Section 31? I mean, they just hadn't, didn't, didn't come up with a name yet, the number yet. I don't know. And this is saying, what, 200 years ago? Is that what he said? The, the beard guy? Right. Which would fit, because um, it's in Archer's time when Section 31 is chronologically well, first mentioned. There you go. Okay. So that's even further back in time. Right. Okay. So, right. Okay. And, and again, because of when the, uh, exactly when the whole incident happened that sent the uh, Narada back in time, um, it should all it'll it should all be the same in Archer's day. Okay, fine. So in um, so they call the section thirty one there. That's what Malcolm or whatever his name was uh, was working for. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. 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 So so in Archer's, you'll have to remind me because you're more the uh, more the expert in Enterprise than me. So, uh, where did they have Ferengis? 
Yeah, oh, they didn't have Ferengis. They had just Section Thirty One. Oh, 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 oh! There is a Ferengi episode in in that in that one where they get uh, they all get knocked out, and then the Ferengis come and try to steal stuff off the ship. Okay, but but they're never mentioned as Ferengi, so uh, the crew never know that that they're, they were Ferengi. Okay, so if what this guy is saying is true, it's the Ferengis that made them realize this. Um. Then it was the exposure in Archer's time? I'm assuming so, It must yeah. be. So, okay. Okay. So, Archer but didn't know what to call them. It doesn't quite make sense, yeah. Uh, or, okay, I, I'm not... Anyway, so I, I just thought it was kind of odd. Why the Ferengi? Right, I don't know. I mean, there could be threats all over the place. Why not the Klingons? I mean, why is it the Ferengis that made them realize that they had to have an underhanded, uh, <laughs> dirty deals uh, organization, covert organization? I don't know. Yeah, he doesn't explain it very well here. No. And by the way, are we supposed to know who he is? No, but he looks just like Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Soren. Soren, yeah. But... Obviously, he, it's not so. No. And, and because of the beard and stuff, I thought he looked a little bit like Anthony Zerby, the actor who played Admiral Daugherty in, um, in uh, Insurrection. Oh, yeah. Definitely. He but definitely he died. And, in Insurrection. Yeah. And I had the feeling Admiral Daugherty was probably a pretty straight arrow most of his career. Same. And then it was really the pressure brought on by the Dominion and stuff, the, the, the Dominion War. Right. Um, yeah, and, and everybody's seizing here. So at, at, if it was just like he held Picard up, you know, and it was always behind him and Picard right. never got a good sign of him, I would say maybe it, that could have been him, but everybody saw him. Yeah. So it can't be him. Right. Somebody would have squealed. Right. So this is a new guy. Never saw him before, but he's they they chose to make him look like they chose to make him look. Okay, fine. Right, like two villains that will two different villains that we'll see in future movies. <laughs> exactly. There you go. <laughs> um, can I point out a inconsistency with the the name of the issue? Oh sure, yeah, go ahead. So the, the title? Yeah. The book definitely has the title as Space Seeds. Okay. But I guess it was a mistake. Uh, because when they reprinted it in the uh, graphic novel, they yeah. changed the name to An Inconvenient Truth. Oh. Hmm. So Interesting. That's, that's that's funny to me. Well, so when I saw that, I, I had to look at it a couple times. <laughs> I went back and said, wait a minute, that says Space Seeds 2. So the, the title inside page after the cover says very clearly Part 6 Space Seeds. I said... Well, that was five. And then I went back and looked, and yeah, five said Space Seeds too. So was it a publishing error? It, it seems like it was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And they, they fixed it when they did the, the graphic novel. Ah, there you go. Mistakes will happen. But And speaking of mistakes, and this is kind of why we missed this one um, back in the day, yeah. is that um, I was going off of Comixology a lot to get the IDW stuff. Uh-huh. And for whatever reason... This series is not available on Comixology, so oh. hmm. it, it's just not there. 
which is very weird because all the other Star Trek stuff is. And I can't find any reason as to why this one is omitted. Hmm. Just seems weird. Business. Sometimes things are done for very weird reasons. Maybe because of this mistake. They were like, oh, we can't let them know uh, that made a mistake. <laughs> you would think that Comixology would want to be able to sell everything they can get their hands on. Oh, absolutely. The more, the merrier. So, right. So, yeah, I don't easier. know. Yeah. I don't uh, know if IDW pulled it for some reason or if it's just not there for some reason. Who knows? Right. I just thought it was funny. Yeah. Or not really funny, but interesting. Yeah. Um, I really love the drawing of the Enterprise, um, where, uh, so the belly of the Enterprise is oriented towards the local sun, so the top of the ship is, like, black, except where the running lights are on the uh, saucer section, the front of the saucer section top. I thought that looked really cool. This is the very first splash page? Yeah, looks yeah. nice. Yeah, why do they have the big light like the big spotlight on the, the hole like that? Well, I thought it was because that's where they have the name of the Enterprise. I mean, don't they right. have the name of the Enterprise? Yeah. Yeah. And the registry number, the... but they just yeah. didn't bother putting it on this drawing. <laughs> that's what I was thinking, too. But then I was like, well, maybe I'm mistaken no. uh, as to where the spotlight normally is. But, yeah, you're right. It's usually right in front of the registry number. Right. So that if in even in space you can read the license plate. <laughs> well, something I love about this drawing is it's pointing out a reality about space, and uh, which is basically lighting is not perfect and not uniform, but <laughs> for the most part in Star Trek it is. I mean, when you see the Enterprise, it's usually pretty well lit. Um, and in a lot of science fiction things, that's the way it is, uh, especially older productions, because they, you know, they filmed the model in a studio or whatever. Sure. But the actual physics of how it would really work in space is uh, more complicated, and this kind of shows that, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, I think part of the reason when, when I first saw La Serena on uh, in Picard, um, there were a lot of times I couldn't see it very well. And I think to some degree, it's because they took the, they tried to make it a little bit more realistic, the lighting, I think. Um, definitely in shows like The Expanse that do try to make things a little bit more in alignment with physics and science uh, and, and don't take as many liberties. Um, yeah, there's lighting, there's really interesting lighting uh, all the time on ships that is not, uh, you know, 100% lit from all sides. Right. So. Anywho. I, I, I like that drawing. Yeah, it's nice. What do you think about the Mexican standoff? Eh, it was interesting how they drew it. Yeah, from above. With three panels. Yeah. I, and everybody's pointing their phasers in a different way. <laughs> exactly. Now, I, I know, like, I know um, they did that in uh, Reservoir Dogs. Didn't they do that in Pulp Fiction, too? Didn't they have a scene like that? Yeah, maybe. I know that they did it in, in The Office. Oh! <laughs> what were they pointing staplers at each other? Uh, what, what? Finger guns. Finger guns. 
Oh, that's great. Uh, but I'm assuming that comes from like old, old westerns, right? Oh, or, or I, I'm sure I'm sure Tarantino was not the first one to do it. Right. Yeah. But in that shot, I did like how they had all of the Section Thirty One folks wearing like uh, Deep Space Nine uniforms with the where the colors on the shoulders instead of the body. Well. That yeah. way you could tell who was who, because I mean they're pretty tiny. I mean you're 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 the camera is like, you know, several feet above anybody's head. Mm-hmm. So they're yeah. they're kind of tiny. Yeah. But yeah, and it's the full body is black, the right? Uniform, which is interesting because that's the people, the engineering with the engineering people that they took out at the beginning. Because though they have more like caramel colored, or yeah, like a gold. I think these are caramel colored too. Maybe it's just generic. Okay, well, because it's a secret. It's a secret. Um, what do you think about that that panel towards the end um, where they're getting ready to? Well, before where they're getting ready to beam out. Okay, and it shows me. Yeah, so it's the. It's the. So the next page after um, the Mexican standoff, mm-hmm. the whole bottom of that next page shows um, everybody, all of the you know Picard and his team, and they're all there. But Picard is in there twice. Well, so, he's he's there, and then he's like an insert of him. Well, there. yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, I thought it was interesting how they did it because it's not showing a cutaway. It's I mean. It doesn't well, that, look like an insert. Well, I that mean, little that little bar that goes behind his shoulders to his elbow that's that's the panel, and he's just poking out of it. I I don't interpret it that way, uh, <laughs> but I mean, his head is right. At, you know, uh, from a perspective standpoint, his head is right in front of that what what curvy spherical thing with the with the little lights, round lights on it. And Troy is right next to that thing, so right. it makes it look like he's. Uh, it just makes it look her. like he's in. The, he's in the panel twice. Uh, now, no. I, 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 granted, fine. It, there's a rectangular. There's a rectangular thing uh-huh. that is there, which the is almost yeah. the same color as other things in the room. It, it is. It's but, the same color as that arch. Yeah, you're right. But I'm just saying, it it just it just struck me as odd at first. But but obviously it's two two time periods, right? Right, so, two panels. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, I totally see what you're saying, and I never would have thought of that. But yeah, you you are right that it does. It is a little jarring if you look at the whole picture at, at, as one. Right. It does look like one one sat card is up up in the front. Yeah, that was interesting. Unexpected, but right. And so, do they always have nice brunches like this? Yeah, it's a big spread. That's for really breadsticks. Not concluding yeah. anything. That's just it. <laughs> Nothing was resolved. No. <laughs> and yet they're all like having a big party. Like, woohoo, we won! Yeah. Okay, great. So Picard looks happy as as a, as a pig in the uh, pig in mud. You know, he's cheering everybody, and they're cheering to their future and everything. It's like. But hold on, 
captain, <laughs> Captain Morality, which is something I love about Picard. Um, there's an immoral rogue organization within the Federation, and you know about it now. And they might have even tried to kill you in issue three. Um, so they tried to kill him here with that Tellerite phasering right through him. Well, the Tellerite did, who could have been a minion, you know, a minion of Section 31, fine. But, um, so he was, he was being, so, uh, so at first I thought he was beamed out by Necheyev, but, because of course that's where the canapes came from, right? Right. But it looks like since he was beamed directly at, into that, uh, into that facility, and Beard Guy was there right, you know, with the phaser against the back of his head. Obviously, Beard Guy was in the loop on saving Picard. Hmm. And, and he said, I mean, Beard Guy, Mystery Beard Guy. I mean, he said, uh, you know, basically, what I do allows you to do what you do. And, you know, we both have to be here. And, you know, we don't, we want you to do what you're doing. Um... So is this, I mean, so, then what did so he didn't want to kill, he didn't want to kill Picard, or that's what it sounded like anyway. Um, so is Picard just accepting the fact that there are necessary evils in the world? Yes. Yeah. I'm assuming, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's like the CIA. Okay. We all know the CIA is there. And they probably do some dirty tricks. Uh, I, I think they had a little something to do with the Bay of Pigs, but whatever. Um, Please note that that's just Ken's opinion. Uh, in case you're listening, CIA, <laughs> I did not what say that. It? I mean, isn't it? Isn't that kind of common knowledge? I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Um, but you know, CIA, the dirty tricks, folks for the U.S. So I mean, we know about that. I mean, are we? But we don't know how far they go. We have no idea what all MI5 or the CIA or whatever, what they, what they do. But we know they're there and we move on anyway. So maybe Picard's just in the same boat. Is there a real MI6? I thought there was. Or is it just MI5? I thought it was... Well, James I Bond works thought... for MI6. I mean, oh, I don't. Is that even a real institution, I... or is just a, is it just MI5 and then Fleming? Well, was I don't like, know. We'll, we'll do one. But better. if it's secret, <laughs> add another number to it. Exactly. Yeah. So MI5 is the nor- is is the real world <laughs> British <laughs> spy organization, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not ma- like, not like the Fifth the Mission Impossible movie. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Uh, did you like that shot where Picard gets beamed away as he, the phaser's going through him? I thought yeah, it was I a cool shot. shot. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, the picture. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. I didn't... Shouldn't it bounce off like it did with uh, Picard, uh, oh, Riker, Riker? When, he away? when he was split? No, when he was beaming away from that... Uh, there was that whole murder mystery episode where he's on trial for murdering that person and come to find out Someone shot him while he was beaming away that then bounced back and hit hit the woman or the, the man that uh, died. 
Oh, that was the one where Riker was supposedly on trial. Well, he wasn't supposed to be. He supposedly he was on trial. Yeah. For murder. For having those affairs with married women. Mm. Shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. Yes. Well, the story didn't want it to bounce off and hit somebody else, so it just went through. Right. Right. Well, haven't we seen other situations where somebody was beamed out just in time and the phaser just went through them or disruptor or whatever? Yeah, I don't remember. Into, into, went through air. It does whatever the, the writer story needs. All right. I really don't have anything else to say about this one. You? Uh, I think I got everything. Yeah. Cool. Well, this, was, right. a, this was a good series. I'm glad right. we came back to do it. I'm glad you spotted it. Yeah. And I'm hoping the next one, the, uh, the one we're doing next week, Star Trek Missions End which is a Taz, came out 2009, so it's also pretty old. And uh, we somehow missed it. We did. And, and it's those... supposed to be the last mission of the Enterprise while it's going, leaving its five-year mission, which is right. funny because we just spent a ton <clears throat> of time on Star Trek Year 5, which yep. has nothing to do with this story. Right. <laughs> and uh, it looks like the first issue um, of Mission's End is, if not the first mission of Kirk, it's pretty close because Gary's there. So Gary's there, yeah. It seems like they're they're going from like a beginning and jumping around in time. It, it, it could be a progression. Yeah, it might be like this one the where they're jumping around, but we don't know yet because we haven't. I haven't read it. We've just, we just scanned a little. I haven't read them, but I just looked the first and last issue. Right. So, looking forward to that. Something different. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll be back next week with um, Missions End. Sounds great. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic.com. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.